Thank you for being with Thank us. Thank you for taking God care. Bless you. I can't believe what's going on You're here. going to have such oh, a yeah. fun day. The day has come for Honor Flight Chicago mission number 107. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Welcome to Honor Flight Chicago, flight 107. This is our 15th season, our 107th flight, and with the 113 heroes uh, here today, we'll have crossed the 10,000 veterans flown to our nation's capital. 10,000 veterans flown, 10,000 stories, 10,000 days built to honor and thank. For the Honor Flight Chicago family, it is a privilege that brings endless pride. Foul weather a month earlier forced the postponement of Mission 107, but on this day, the skies are clear and we will soon be wheels up. Today. The trip is going to happen. Right. As Harry Carey used to say, let me hear you, good and loud, especially loud. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's As Wayne Mesmer leads the anthem, the vets, the vast majority of whom served during Vietnam, make ready for their day. I am a guardian on this flight for Marine Purple Heart Vietnam veteran Ray Suida, who lives with the pain and limited mobility caused by a bullet over half a century ago. Ray has never been to the Vietnam Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C. He will see it today. What were your expectations coming into today? Just having a real nice time, not to, I don't want to bring up bad memories, you know, but just to respect, I got I got people that I can't remember their names for some reason. You know, I know on the wall. I got a lot of people on that wall. And you will be looking for those names today. Just the one. All the other names, uh, I can't remember their names. And you know, back then everybody had a nickname, and then you don't remember their real names. You just remember a nickname. What was your nickname? Probably asshole. <laughs> well, that's a memorable nickname. Behind my nickname. back, yeah, yeah. Behind my back, yeah. yeah. No, I, I never had a nickname. You know, some of the guys are, you know, one guy was called Rats because his name was Radcliffe, Frenchie. I'm trying to remember different names now. I don't know why I never had one. I guess Ray was real short there. It was good enough. <laughs> Tell me the circumstances of your entry into the Marines. <laughs> I got the draft letter on Christmas Eve, 1965. And in January 12th, they only gave me uh, that couple of weeks to get ready. And I w walked in the room, and they were counting off numbers, and I was picked as a Marine. You know, but I was very proud of going into the Marines. I was scared as hell, of course. You know, all I remember is this biggest, ugliest Marine, and just pointing at me and says, "You, <laughs> yeah." So I knew I was a Marine. That's all I was. I was in a cloud, you know, a daze. And you're a 19-year-old in a cloud yeah. in a daze. Yeah. <laughs> you're going into something you don't know about. Yeah, because, you, you know, you, you're, you're, I'm a punk. Uh, I'm a, I, I never paid attention to politics or, or none of that stuff back then. You know, I was interested in girls, and I just graduated high school. Six months out of, I was only six months out of high school, and uh, I bought my first car. 
I had my girlfriend, and, and I got a job of, uh, in a printer. You know, I had everything going for me. And then, well, that happened. You get the letter. And oh, you, yeah. were, you were afraid? Oh, yeah, sure. Did you figure you were going to see combat? You knew where yeah. you were headed? Yeah. I, yeah. I, after I got the letter, then I'm, you know, then all the news is breaking out, and you, then I'm paying attention to what's going on here, you know. Do you say to yourself, my God, what am I getting into? <laughs> no, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, you had a you had a choice. You know, you could run away or something. You can't do that. Yeah, you have to live with yourself. Did you approach it with kind of a, a gung ho attitude then? If I'm going, I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah, yeah. That, I always was that way. <laughs> How about your family, uh, your folks? What did they have to say about it? Well, they weren't happy, but you know, my dad is very proud. He was an army guy, but he was he. He was with the Marines in the World War II on the islands and that. So there's military history in your family? Yeah. Where was your dad in World War II? I know he was in uh, uh, Okinawa. I don't know any other battles. I don't, he, didn't, he didn't really talk you know, too much. Did he offer you any advice on your departure to Vietnam? What he did was kind of scared the hell out of me. He bought a dagger for me, a boot dagger. You know, dagger is sharpened on both sides. Yes. Very dangerous. He gave me that dagger and he says, keep it with you. Because if you if you ever run out of ammunition, you, you wish you knew how to fight with a knife. And that's the Marine Corps motto anyway, you know, with our K-bars and stuff. We have to know how to fight with a knife. And so, so I, you kept I, that with you. I had that, I had that knife in my boot the whole year I was there. The whole time you were in Vietnam? The whole time I was in the Marine Corps, in Great Lakes Naval Hospital for a year. Then they let us out for a weekend pass from Great Lakes. I'm taking a couple of Marines with me. We're patients in the hospital. Naturally, we're going to get drunk, you know, and I'm driving my car like an idiot, you know, back then. Cops pull me over, Chicago cops, search the car, search me, find a dagger. Ouch. Ouch. Instead of writing me a ticket, they took the dagger. I would pay that ticket 10,000 times over just to have that Did knife again. Did you plead you know. with him to not take I told him the story that of that knife. You know. But he says, why are you carrying it around in Chicago? You know, which is uh, kind of true, you know, kind of stupid of me. But yeah, he, he should have let me go. But what are you going to do? Oh, well. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a bunch more during the course of the day. All right. But for now, it's time to depart. On behalf of uh, all of us uh, here at Southwest Airlines, thank you so much uh, for your service. We appreciate it, and uh, once again, welcome aboard. It's not unusual for vets on an honor flight to go back in time to think about those moments decades ago when they left friends and family behind for the unknown. So you go off to basic, and then you do your AIT, and you're going to be infantry and yes. rifleman. Yep, a rifleman, yep. Meantime, back on the home front, you have a much younger sister. Yeah, she's only three and a half when I got drafted, so, yeah. You were adopted yeah. by your folks, yeah. and you believed all this time that your folks would not be able to have, right, that's wouldn't they, have any siblings. They just couldn't have any kids. They were trying. Yes. But we know then, they were trying because <laughs> my sister was born. <laughs> she's born, and she's this little tyke. Yeah. And you're getting ready to go off to Vietnam. Yeah. And she, your little sister, does not want you to go. Oh, my God. I didn't want to leave my sister because, you know, I always prayed for, for a brother or a sister. I was adopted. I grew up alone, you know. 
fortunately, all my uncles and aunties had had cousins all I had cousins all over the place, and, and we would visit all. The, so I had, you know, camaraderie with, with relatives. But you know, growing up alone is, uh, you know, I wanted to have. Was, uh, so when she was born, and I was so so much older, and my dad was, you know over 50 he didn't want to go on a roller coaster or any, any of that stuff anymore I, I was the one taking my sister to the to the stuff and doing things you know so i was you know really big brother really big brother you know older you know and when you're departing for vietnam you yeah. put her in a she says, bag. i gotta i want to go with you and she's crying and i says well you know she's so small she's only three and a half i picked her up and i put her in my duffel bag and I put her on my back, and I actually said, "Okay, you sure you want to go?" And she didn't. She stopped crying. She was. She wanted to go with me, you know, <laughs> to Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was she crying when you departed? Oh hell yeah, we all were. You know, yeah. You were too. Oh yeah. yeah. It's emotional. Yeah. You didn't know what was ahead. No. Mm-mm-mm. So you're part of the Marine 1st Battalion, 5th Regiment, the 1-5s. 1st Marine Division, yeah. Yep, and you're Charlie Company. I forgot what platoon I was in, but I know I was Charlie Company. How long were you in country before you had your first encounter with the enemy? <laughs> Two days, maybe. That's when the reality set in. I wasn't there very long at all, just a couple of days. You know? But was that the first time you witnessed death? Yeah. 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 How'd you handle that? I was scared. Hell yeah, sad, you know, just like, as that went on more and more, you think, what is this for? You know, what, wh- why are we here? You know, I didn't question it at first, but then once you're there, you, you, you see the stupidity of it. You, were, you know, we're going, and then we're going back, and then we're going to the same place, and then we're going, and we're going back and forth. Well, what's the purpose? You know, if we're, if we're gonna get north of uh, Vietnamese, Go get them and, and keep on going. You know, uh, if this is a war, but it, you know, it was uh, it wasn't like like a World War II war. You got to conquer territory. We conquered territory, but then we left, and they just come right back. It was a civil war. You know that uh, we shouldn't have got involved in the first place. I think you know, in a, in a way, so look what happened. It, it's they lo- we lost anyway. You know, as far as that goes. And on one occasion, you were telling me that. You had to, um, you set up camp in a cemetery. Right. How did that come about? It was the most strategic spot, I guess, our, our officers thought for protection around this perimeter of, of the village and whatever we were trying to protect. And they had a little hill there, and that was the cemetery. But so we had to set up our machine guns and whatnot on that hill. We and were going to dig it up for the people, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us t- touch the graves. They, they asked us. They wanted to dig it up, you know, themselves. So you had the villagers dig up their They dug cemetery. up their, their, their relatives, and then that same night we had to dig a foxhole and sleep in the graves. Man, how did you that handle was that? Scary. I didn't sleep that night, that's for sure. You know, I was scared, scared as hell, you know. It's like, I don't believe in ghosts, but it's still eerie feeling, you know. You're sleeping in a cemetery. When they had to ask you, please don't do that. Tough shit. But you had, in, you had invaded... <laughs> A sacred place in this village. Yeah, so we're going to leave it alone, and then at night uh, the Viet Cong could just walk through that cemetery and kill us. No, 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 that, that's, that won't work. <laughs> Even though you're in a combat zone and you're, you're 
presented with the unanticipated. There was one occasion you're, you're marching, 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 and you marched, and Ray goes right down into a well. <laughs> yeah. And it's, what, 10 feet deep, you say? It's about 10 feet, yeah. And I didn't know how deep the, after the water, because I, I spread my legs out, and I stopped. You know, I'm hanging on to the side. It wasn't a real big well. Was, and I'm hanging on and screaming my lungs out. To, and finally, they, they did come back, and then they started laughing because I'm, you know, not wounded. <laughs> And it was funny, you know, I couldn't get out. You know. Well, those things were often deadly traps oh, yeah. where they would have That's why spikes you know, down yeah. at the bottom of the well. Definitely. Uh, this fortunately well, for a, you, it was yeah, just it was a well. A, a, a real freshwater well, yeah. It was yeah. another occasion when you hear some thundering movement toward you. And <laughs> you, what, what, are your direct, what are your orders? Shoot anything that comes down that, that road. So I shot a water buffalo. It was pitch dark. There was no moon. Couldn't tell who it was, was, and it wouldn't stop. So I mean, it could have been a wild, wild animal for all we knew. We didn't know it was a, t- a timid. But you didn't know what this was coming at you. No, not at all. You so, just heard noise. Yeah. And you issued orders to stop. Yeah, and we killed the thing about it wasn't even 15 feet in front of us. You know, it was right there. And in doing so, the water buffalo, as you say, was some farmer's tractor. Right, and landed right in the middle of. The, road and the road was very steep on both sides so people had to walk around it interminable razzing then you take yeah of course you know marines you ain't gonna let nothing like that go lightly (laughs) welcome thank you enjoy your day today hey have a great day welcome to dc thanks mission number 107 has arrived at dulles Hundreds are there to greet Ray and his fellow vets. They will hear the words, thank you, more times than anyone can count. And that brings real joy to Ray, despite the fact that this day marks an unwelcome anniversary. For it was on this day, May 10, exactly 56 years ago, that Ray Sweeta was wounded in what was, up to that point, one of the bloodiest battles of the Vietnam War, the Battle for Hill 110 in the Quezon Valley, when the men of Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, met a much larger enemy force. 56 years to the day after the assault on Hill 110. Yep. An event that forever changed your life. Tell me about 110. Well, that day I I woke up just like we always do, uh, out in the jungle, and we're going to get these guys. We know we're chasing them. I'm going up the hill. I, I, we got up to. They call them hills. I call them little mountains. I'm from Chicago. I don't see no no hills. To me, that's a little mountain. It's way up there. So what the hell? So we get to the top, and then they want me to go back down the other side. So of course, you know. And then on the way down, that's when all this. I must have got got shot right at the same time. Where in the on the other side of the hill, when they must have attacked the whole perimeter of that hill all at the same time. Because that's why I thought I was like the first one shot, but maybe maybe five of us got shot all at the same time. You thought you know? they were on top of the hill. They were actually... No, I knew they were behind, uh, below me. Below you. Oh, yeah. I knew I was coming down the this very steep hill. I, it was so steep, I was coming down backwards. So was the guy next to me, and he got shot. We didn't hear the bullet. He got shot in, in his backpack, and a, a foam started coming out. It must have been his shaving kit. Something broke in there, and it was foaming up. And uh, we just both laughed because we thought the pressure of the heat and everything. And it was a bullet that went there. And, 
And at the same time we laughed, he got shot in the chest because he turned around and I got, I got shot in the rectum. Ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> and then we both slid down the hill and that's when the Viet Cong kept on shooting at us and the people up on the hill. You know, that's probably when I got shot through. I didn't even know I was shot through the leg. I didn't even know. I, I didn't know that. You know. The first hit was to the rectum. The yeah, second one. Second was, to was your probably leg. when they shot me. Uh, you know, I was in a bush. Bush was scary because on top of the hill, the Marines are shooting down the hill, and the Viet Cong are shooting up the hill. And here we we are wounded in the middle of all this. <laughs> so you're in deep pain. Oh yeah. yeah. And you're losing a lot of blood. Yeah. How soon before a corpsman was able to get to you? Couldn't tell. I, I couldn't tell. Did you lose consciousness? No, but it was just, you know, it could, was it 10 minutes? Or was it a half an hour? I don't know. And then, according to this thing, I, I didn't even know if a corpsman even got to me. It could have been a regular regular guy, you know. I helped wounded guys, you know, I wasn't a corpsman, because a corpsman is busy. You know, if you know how to stop bleeding, you stop the guy from bleeding, you know. Do you remember when the first person came up to you to help you, give you aid? Yeah, yeah he, he, he comes sliding down, and then he, he was... He was with a boat of us guys. I don't remember his name, but he like protected us, and you know, watched over us. Do you remember what you were thinking at that point in time? Is this the end of my life? Well, yeah, I thought you know this is uh, pretty scary. You know, I was just where's my rifle? Because I lost my rifle. I said, I want my rifle. Where where is it? You know, and it was farther down the hill, and with my glasses. You know, and they didn't want to go down that hill to get the rifle. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so somehow you get medevaced out of there. Yeah. There are a lot of casualties this day, a lot of casualties. Yeah. And there's also friendly fire yeah. because there was a— There always was. There always is, yeah. There yeah. was a strike called That's F4. That's something that a lot of civilian people in the war pictures and that they don't tell you that, but it happens all the time, you know. Accidents happen, you know. A guy runs in front of the rifle and he gets shot or whatever. You know, that's, it happens. In this yeah. particular occasion, It was though, a jet, you know. A jet. Yeah. Let's go of its ordinance. Yep. Boom, five guys die. Yeah. Five Marines. Yes. Yeah. In Charlie Company. So you're medevaced out and you go to the USS Sanctuary. Well, no, I was first medevaced to a place like a, a mass unit, I guess, you yeah. know, like the Army. I know it was in a tent. Right. And that's when they, you know, stopped the bleeding and stuff. And then they put me to sleep. And then I, I woke up in, on the USS Sanctuary with a bag on my side. So what is this, you know? He said, well, you know, you got, you're going to have to use that now. So they told me it was going to be temporary. And then a year later, they said it's going to be permanent. And then three years later, one doctor at the VA said, you know, we can hook you up and maybe it'll, it'll work again, you know. So you're, gonna, you're missing part of the Fingstermann muscle. But the rest of it is going to relearn, you know, how to hold back your stool. If you can't hold it back... Well, then you, it's up to you. Do you want, want to get the colostomy? It's up to me if I want to get a, Do I go to occasional accidents or do I have that bag? I'd rather have the occasional accidents. And that's how I've been ever since I was shot. You know, I know every day I was shot because I have problems. Yeah. How many surgeries did you go through? I think nine. Nine did different ones. Yeah. But it worked. And yeah. You're... Yeah. They're always, yeah. They went back to colostomy. They, they, they operated on that sciatic nerve. Which I'm having, I might be having re problems, but you know, at the time they were really good. They fixed me up. Let's talk about the problems you have now as a result of what happened 56 years ago. Yeah. About five years after I was shot, I started uh, 
experiencing really severe pain in my legs. And not only pain, I started falling down. I was losing control over my legs and feeling kind of like what's happening now. And what was happening was the bullet, when it went in me, frag, uh, splintered off. It must not have been a steel or a uh, coated jacket. It must have been just a lead bullet, you know. Well, it splintered off, and one of those splinters went into my sciatic nerve on the right side. Over the years, that little piece of shit that, that's there is causing irritation and a scar tissue around that nerve. It was choking it off and killing it. So that was, that's what was causing all that extreme pain and loss of feeling. They went in there. I don't know what they did. They, did they scrape the nerve to get the scar tissue off or whatever they did? It worked. I was fine. No more pain. Till now, 50 years later, I don't know if this is related or is it related because I had both knees done two years ago now, this May. And my blades were so bow-legged from arthritis and stuff, and they tried to straighten it all out. So it's like I, I'm experiencing that realignment, and but now I'm having pain in my hips, and I'm losing, maybe it's all because I was realigned. Or is something seriously happening, or is it that nerve coming back? I'm going to find out. They're going to start running some tests on me and you know, find out what the hell's going on. But for uh, now... It's easier for you to get around in a chair or oh, with I, I some can't walk. assistance. I have to, you I, cannot I, walk, right? I cannot stand. Uh, yeah, I'll fall. And and by driving, I, I can't feel the uh, the bottom the brake, of, my, the of my feet. Yeah, yeah, I can feel it now, but then it goes it goes dead. So then I can't feel it. So I can't drive. That's unsafe. After having paid that price, I wonder as you look back on your experience in Vietnam, are you angry? I'm glad I'm not, you know, because that, if you stay angry, it, it's going to eat you up. You know, it will eat you up. You know, uh, same thing with sadness. Uh, if you're really de- depressed, it could kill you, you know. <laughs> you, so. You do, however, have many questions about our role in Vietnam. Oh, hell yeah. I researched that. I read all about it. That's why I come very political after Vietnam, and I've been political ever since. That's my hobby, the politics, not sports. You know, I love I love uh, listening to conservative radio and liberal. I love I love all points of view, but I am conservative. What's your message about Vietnam 56 years later? If you're going to get involved in something, try and, and know the end result. You don't don't just go there and then there was no no end 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 plan there. There was the same thing with Korea. Nixon, everybody hated Nixon. But, you know, he did end the damn war. You know, he did, uh, at the end, he did say, okay, we're leaving. Uh, He admitted it, and he did it, you know, so. You had moments of individual conscience where you're thinking about what's the justification here in the action that we're taking that I am ordered to take. Right. You wrestled with some of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I... Didn't hesitate, you know. Uh, fortunately, I never had to, you know, have hand-to-hand combat or actually see the person I'm shooting at. I shot in the bushes, like most of us. We don't, we don't even see the enemy. You're, you're shooting, spraying that whole area. It's all bushes. And then after the battle, you see dead ones. Yeah, you know. But who actually killed that person? I'm glad. It, it you know, in my mind, it hopefully it wasn't me. Really, you know. It's just, uh, this horrible thought. Yeah. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home.
As with all Honor Flight Chicago missions, the veterans of number 107 gather at the World War II Memorial for the presentation of colors, the anthem, and taps. Fifteen years ago, when Honor Flight Chicago was born, all of the veterans had served during World War II. Now the vast majority are their sons, who served during Vietnam. Ray's father was in the Army in the Pacific toward the end of World War II. He was on the fought in the islands. He was uh, anti-artillery for the, he shot the Japanese airplanes. When you were a kid, did he ever tell you anything about World War II? No, he, he wouldn't talk about it. Did you ever ask him about it? Yeah, and he just, uh, later, later, and he never did. Yeah, he never did. What's your understanding of what he went through? I really don't know. You know, I, he never, he never talked about it, you know, but uh, I know he served, of course, you know. But he was apparently ready to go into the Japanese mainland. Oh, yeah. And yeah. when the bomb was dropped, right? And yeah. that meant he didn't have to go. Right. Yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah. I just thought of his brothers, my, my godfather, he, he's guarding Alaska on Highway 1 on a horse. You know, hilarious. Some people in, in war get, get some jobs that are just gravy, and some are just hell, you know. But had the bomb not been dropped, he may have very well been among those oh, who yeah, had to attack would, the mainland would, in Japan. He would have got, got killed, I bet, yeah. yeah. Who knows how many hundreds of thousands of Army and Marines would have got killed in Japan. When you're here and you hear taps and you see yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the stars that memorialize all those who were lost in World War II, yeah. your dad was not lost. No but many others were, and yeah. I wonder what, what you're thinking when you hear that. Just the sense of loss, how many people could have invented something, or, uh, or why, you know, it's senseless. They have, to, they have that inner uh, honor, I guess, to, to follow whatever your country tells you. You know, like, when I was sent to Vietnam, I didn't know what Vietnam, I didn't even know what it was. I was, I was first fresh out of high school, I didn't look at news, it was so early in that war, it was just starting. And, um, but I, I didn't say, you know, well, I don't believe in this, I'm not going. You know, your country want, needs you, you gotta go, you know. Whether you believe it or not, you, it's not up to you, you know, somebody has to lead. That's what I believe. We push on to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall. Ray is seeing it for the first time. Oh, here's where it starts. Wow. In the 50s, all the way to the 70s. What for, huh? What a shame. <sighs> this is your first look at all those names. What, what could have been, huh? With all those families missing their sons and daughters. Yeah, what could have been. Just sad. That's all I could say. <laughs> Not too good in words. I think of all the guys in my, in my hospital you know, the, these are the guys who got killed, and but the guys who got wounded and, and uh, they're suffering. It, it's just sick. It's just why, you know? 
we got a great country. All these men would go there and, you know, no questions asked. You just have to do what the country asks you to do. You say this as you touch the names on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, they had to do a lot of things that are, you know, against their nature, that's for sure. When you get in the Marines or any army too, I mean, or any anybody, your camaraderie is, uh, you will sacrifice yourself above, above uh, to, to, to save somebody. You know, you, you don't even think you're a hero, but you do it automatically. I think, is, is, it, is it the training or, or is it uh, in your heart? How, how does a person do that? What do you think it is? I don't know. I, it, it's, it's in me. I'm so proud that I have that, that I didn't run from battle or, you know, piss in my pants or anything like, like, like that. I come really close, you know, a lot of times. When you look at all these names here, yeah. Ray, yeah, and you... You touch them, and a lot of folks, a lot of veterans who've been here, when they say they touch the name, I don't know why I had to. Yeah, that it, makes it real. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Each of you um, probably have taken taken something different from today, hopefully all impactful. Honor Flight Chicago President John Patak. I, I've heard from many of you today and prior today that you're not heroes. You just you just did what your nation uh, asked you to do. Well, hopefully you you accept today that you are heroes. So hopefully after today you you have a, a, a little more pride in your service and you wear it with pride and you believe in that that you are heroes a little bit more and hopefully after today you realize that there's out there's many of us out there who care and care deeply uh, about your service and your sacrifice and to our Vietnam uh, veterans thank you and welcome home a very heartfelt welcome home it is time for the veterans of Mission 107 to head back to Chicago and to a homecoming they will long remember. Midway is filled with family and friends. Cheering, non-stop. Ray wears a grin, ear to ear. And now he's the guy saying thank you, more times than anyone can count. And in the crowd is that little girl who fit into Ray's duffel bag so long ago. The little sister who cried when her big brother left for Vietnam. Patricia, she's here with her family, and once again, the tears flow. When you first saw him, when he's coming through the crowd, what was that like for you? Oh my gosh. First we saw him up at the top and he was one of the first ones out. So I got video and I was screaming. You waved, but I don't know if you saw us because we were like, Ray! And then when he came down, we were, I think I was behind all the seven feet tall people. And so when I saw him coming, I, I 
moved to the middle and we, I was finally able to get his attention. So just so exciting to see. I mean, I couldn't wait to see. I was, I wanted to see how, like, was he happy? Was he tired? Was he, and he just looks so happy. Now you can celebrate. Yes, yes. We're so happy to have him. He just is such a blessing to all of us and he's got lots of family that loves him and is so very proud of him. It's been a long day for Ray Sweeta and all the vets of HFC Flight 107. It's also been a day of powerful emotion. Good medicine for a wounded combat vet who looks back with both pain and pride. Ray and I got together shortly after flight day to take stock. The pinnacle of the emotion is when you come home and you're on the mm. flight, you do the mail call and then you... Yeah, that was really, I, I thought that mail call, I thought it was just you know, gonna be, not just, but you know, school kids saying, you know, hello veteran, congratulations, you know, just generic. And then I, I, I just looked at the first letter and just teared right up. I, said, I didn't open it, I, I knew who it was from, it was from Ashley, my niece. I said, what, they're all my cousins, you know. Nice, real nice. How overwhelming was it when you're hearing all the cheering and the band that playing? That was something, oh man, yeah. Just, and then I, I couldn't see, uh, I didn't know my sister was down there too, you know, with my, my nieces. <laughs> what was that like when you met them? Oh, I just trying to not to cry, you know. <laughs> And then when my sister starts crying, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a special bond with her, don't you? Oh, yeah, I've always uh, tried to take care of her. I don't like that. It's weird, you know, because I know when people like you, you help people, it makes you feel good, too. And, and I like deprive people of uh, helping me, in a sense. You know, I never like to ask people to help me. I want to help people, you know, but I don't, it's hard for me to ask somebody to help me. So I've always been that way. You know, I wanted to be independent or tough or rough or whatever you call it. But, you know, for me to ask for help is something, you know, I really don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I guess what do you want people to know about your service in Vietnam? That, you know, the country asks you to, you know, we're not, it wasn't any fun trying to hurt somebody. You know, it's not pleasant, you know, but if you have to, you have to. You know, it's just... It's part of life. Yeah, it's part of life. You know, if your country asks you to do something, it sounds whether you you know you agree with it or not. You still you have to you have to. We wouldn't have a country if we didn't. You know, if we all thought independently. You have to have a leader. You know, and we trust our leaders. Hopefully, they're going to do the right thing. Usually, it's old men fighting old old men, but the young people have to do the fighting. You know. It was, <laughs> Well, you're 21 years old, right? When you're shot, or 20? I was 20. I turned 21 on the use, on the sanctuary ship, because I got shot May 10th, and my birthday is May 27th. And that's when I turned 21. I was on that ship, and I asked them to, you know, put some vodka in those tubes. You know, what do you give me that glucose shit for? Give me some vodka. <laughs> all I want to do is get bombed. You know, <laughs> like all the Marines. You know, we want to forget that that, that war. Nonetheless, you're proud of your service. Couldn't be prouder. Yep, always a marine. That's right. We don't. We don't. We're not an ex-marine. We're a marine. You know. I'm glad you're proud. Yes. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm not bitter. I'm so glad I'm not bitter. When you know, if I went to Vietnam, I would just hug those people. You know, really. You know, 
Even the guy who shot me, I'd hug him because he was fighting for for his his w- w- country, and I was fighting for mine. You know, I was fighting to help the the South, but I was still fighting for my country because my country was fighting. You know, could you imagine yourself saying that fifty six years ago? Yeah, it's kind of kind of nah. I was you know, just a punk marine. <laughs> Back then, you think you could just bounce off trees and you can't get hurt, and nothing's going to hurt me, you know. But the fact that you've been able to live all these years and not be angry, yeah, not be consumed by anger, right? Yeah, is a very positive thing. Oh yeah, I've had uh, a couple guys commit suicide. They couldn't uh, couldn't forget, you know, stay angry, kill them. It killed them. How many guys? From Vietnam, actually killed themselves after Vietnam. I think it's pretty high, real high, you know, or any war zone, you know. Like a lot of people, you could be in an airplane crash or a bus crash or something, and somebody would just shake it off, and somebody would have that PSD or whatever they call it, the mm-hmm. trauma for the rest of their lives because they saw somebody fly through a windshield or something, and they can't they can't handle it. That's individual life, individual brain. That's what happens, especially in a war zone. You get People who can't forget, you know. I don't forget, but I, I'm not. Yeah, you remember. Crying. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's like I can forgive you for doing that to me, but I, I can't forget. Yeah, I mean, you don't turn the cheek. I'm not going to turn the cheek. I, 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 you know, somebody slaps me, I'll slap you back. You know, I'm not that uh, uh, passive. But uh, you know, you treat other people like they you want to be treated. If the whole world would just do that, duh. Ray, thanks for sharing all this. Thank you. That's yeah. great. Now let me show you some pictures and stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. We hope you found today's Honor, Thank, Inspire episode to be moving and meaningful. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.